that actually sounds like. Um, it's pretty epic. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty epic song. All right, welcome to this episode of So What Do You Do, where we interview people in different jobs to see what other ways there are to make money. We're your hosts, Jen Staben, that's a me, and Joyce. Hi. Um, Joyce, I'm a little uh, loosey-goosey, a little loop-de-doo today. Great. This is and, perfect. <laughs> and I and I didn't want to spoil this anecdote uh, while we were pre-talking, but I'm now starting to think. <laughs> I'm painting my bathroom, okay. and I um, didn't have any ventilation. And oh, so now, no. And now I'm starting to think that that's why I'm not putting words together very well. <laughs> this is amazing. This is going to be an amazing episode. <laughs> So I'm so sorry to our guests. Um, I was. I. Why are you sorry? This is going to be so much fun for them. <laughs> I mean, hopefully there will be so some coherent sentences throughout. Um, I didn't do this recre- recreationally or anything like that. I. Uh, <laughs> I just I'm putting two and two together. I just I just uh, beautiful minded what was going on. That's amazing. I love yeah. that. This is going to be so much fun. Why? Was, wait, well, well, why are you painting your bathroom? Because I had a whole dang pandemic to do it, and I didn't do it. So now I'm trying to do it now. I don't Goodness. know. You are it, taking on so much. Aren't, you're also planning a wedding. So, you yeah. know, like it seems like you have plenty to do. <laughs> Yeah, other than like uh, inadvertently like getting uh, contact high over paint while yeah. I'm like, I was like watching Survivor and like painting and I'm like, this is cool. And like, I'm not going to turn the lights on that has the vent work. <laughs> oh my God, this is going to be a dumpster fire. Not because of our guests, because of me. Um, but <laughs> Joyce, what's up? What's the news? How you hanging? I'm uh, doing well. Um, I have been going back to editing our episodes mm-hmm. and it's been super fun, but it's always so weird when you hear yourself talk, you know, you notice mm-hmm. all the little things that you're like, oh man, I keep saying that word and all the ums and the uhs that happens, but I'm trying not to think about it because everyone does it and it's, everyone does it. Yeah. This is all just for fun anyways. So it has to be because we're not making money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I had an inspirational quote come to me while I was painting, and again, I might now came be to you like it, like it just inspiration came to me. from within. Yeah, wow. So I was painting, and it's like a sage green over white paint. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever painted walls before, but the mm-hmm. first coat always looks really shitty. Right, right. And you're like, oh, this is so bad. And then you paint another coat and it looks better. You paint another coat, it even looks better. So it's just to say when you try something once and it's not coming to fruition, like just try it again. It's going to get better. It's just going to keep getting better. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, but now I'm realizing it's because I'm contact high (laughs) off of the paint. (laughs) I'm like, whoa, okay. Uh, Let me go to my Blogspot account and let me post this. What's my Tumblr login? People need to know. Oh, my God. Oh, this is going to be fun. But I'm oh. so excited. I, I'm so excited for our guests today. 
I feel like this is a good segue to bring them in. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to welcome our first ever two guests, a couple guests. Uh, that means two of them. Um, <laughs> so excited to have them. Um, we are welcoming today Mikey Lintz and Andrew Straussman. Hello. Hey, Jen. Hey, Joyce. Hi. Hello. That's Mikey, hello. And that's Andrew. This is Andrew. <laughs> So everyone get calibrated to what people's voices sound like. Andrew, say something like classically Andrew. <laughs> classically Andrew. <laughs> uh, well, my name is Andrew. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a software engineer. Not to give it away the uh, the topic for today, but um, I'm a software engineer. Uh, been in the the industry for 12 years or so. Um, that's something that Andrew would classically say. Classic. That's, that's so Andrew. My goodness. Let's see if Mikey has a similarly classic line. <laughs> uh, oh boy. I had like, <laughs> I had maybe 15 seconds to think of one. And um, I'm going to go with uh, just, what's up? <laughs> Mikey classically was the first person to ever say, what's up? Um <laughs> The commercial. <laughs> I um, miss hearing that. That's that was always so fun. Mikey, did you really actually, do that? He actually, yeah, he would like burst into meeting rooms when he was late. <laughs> now that's how you come into a meeting late, like with a cup of coffee and like was up. Yeah. yeah, slam the door open. Exactly. Stop the meeting. Papers flying everywhere. But only when it it didn't match the energy of the room at all. That was just my timing. <laughs> Okay. I mean, that's hilarious. That's fantastic. Um, so it should like, you know, just in case there's, uh, you know, an uh, aura in the, sorry guys. Uh, I did say while you guys were listening that I might be contact high off of paint right now. So I'm sorry, <laughs> but, um, we all, uh, did work together, um, at a company. So we have, we have some past experience, uh, but I have no knowledge of the software development, uh, software engineering work. Uh, Mikey, let me have you introduce yourself uh, because I don't know if it's exactly the same as Andrew's role. Uh, sure. So, um, I, so I'm a software engineering manager. I manage a team of uh, like eight to 12 engineers. It's, I'm basically responsible for making sure that the team is healthy and working well. And so that's a bunch of stuff, but it includes things like hiring the right people, setting goals, organizing responsibilities, celebrating wins, and other stuff like that. And Andrew, you're uh, an individual contributor right now, right? Yeah, that's right. That's uh, that's what we call the the non-managers in, in the uh, tech engineering world as individual contributors, uh, which means that and and since I've been I've been doing it a little while, uh, I I tend to spend more of my time doing like design, you know, planning, figuring out what are we going to build? How are we going to build it? And then helping kind of like guide uh, myself and, and other people to actually like write code uh, and and build, this, build the thing, uh, which is fun. So what languages do you guys code in? <laughs> That's a great question. We were, I was at my, my sister-in-law asked me the other day, uh, she was, she, she was, she's a social worker and, and she was like, so do you write letters or numbers all day long? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, perfect. <laughs> uh, it's both. <laughs> um, so I think that like personally for me, the languages, uh, like 
jump around totally changes. Every company that I've worked at has had different sets of languages. Um, like it totally depends on the the project you're doing, the company you're at. And in general, I would say like getting into engineering, the companies are generally not hiring as much for a specific language knowledge, although in mm -hmm. some cases they do, but largely they're hiring for your ability to pick up the languages and the environment there because every company is going to have, you know, different bespoke things. Mm -hmm. um, currently, day to day, I am using Java, Ruby, uh, JavaScript, Scala. Um, there may be another one I'm missing, but kind of jumping around uh, all over the place um, at, at my current job. Um, so I don't really code that much, but the language that I used a lot in my previous job and feel most comfortable in is called Go. And like, if I were to do a, like a coding project for fun, which actually happens from time to time, I would use Go. I've never heard of Go. Um, Go is... I wouldn't say it's the most popular language. I think probably the ones that Andrew listed are all, maybe with the exception of Scala, are more popular than Go. Is, but, like, uh, is this the equivalent to like liking an indie band? Like, uh, what are, you wouldn't oh, have heard of not. it. You, you, I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> it's definitely Go. not. Well, there's other programming languages that do match that description. But Andrew, back me up on this one. I don't think that Go is necessarily like, the most hipster language out there. Or Andrew, you can fight him too. That's okay. You don't have to back him up. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking for drama. We need sponsors. No, but uh, <laughs> I, I back him up on that. I think Go is not the hipster language. It's like the uh, the boring office space language, uh, <laughs> something like that. The the pocket protector language. The pocket protector language. That's amazing. So, <laughs> okay, I. I think we could spend an entire episode just you guys uh, giving personalities to each of the coding languages, but um, and now we will. <laughs> exactly. We will hijack this. Python. Um. So, but to be clear, did you guys both start doing similar roles as software engineers, or how did you I, start? Maybe is the question. I actually started way back as a product manager for a year and a half and then became a software engineer. But I think most people who are engineering managers spend at least some amount of time as a um, as an individual contributor. Yeah, I, I went to school um, for, I, like I actually thought I was gonna study math and uh, like major in math and, and hmm. go in that direction. Um, and then I took a class in, in freshman year. It was kind of like a required core class to do this programming class um, and it, like everyone else in the class was like, this is terrible. This teacher is awful. I hate this class. And I was like, it's actually pretty fun. <laughs> Maybe I should take that as a sign uh, that I should do more of these. Uh, and so I switched to like a computer science math, uh, like double major. And basically from there, uh, went kind of straight into, into startups and, and industry um, kind of as an individual contributor. And then went from spent like, seven, eight years or so kind of being an individual contributor, working up the ranks. And then I actually switched and I was, was an engineering manager like Mikey for uh, two years or so, and then actually have switched back in the last uh, year and a half, two years um, to being a an IC again. I, Andrew, did you ever, did you start out by programming on your calculator at all? Just wondering. Like in middle <laughs> school? Yeah, I, the, I had a TI-83 Plus and you could play yeah. Snake and you could like write little programs on it. That was definitely my first experience programming uh, was <laughs> on, on the graphing calculator. 
but I like, I, I feel like I didn't, I didn't do it a huge amount. And then I never got into programming in high school. Like I didn't take any programming classes in high school. Uh, college was really my first real exposure to it. Um, and so if, if you, if you are in college and you feel like you are, uh, you know, it's too late for you. Uh, it's not, uh, you can definitely switch so into true. engineering, yeah. um, even well after college. Like, I think that's yeah. one of the great things about the profession is that like, there are a lot of resources online to learn, uh, learn the skills and, and a lot of people are, are switching into it. Yeah. Like one of the best people that I worked with actually had like an entire separate career as mm-hmm. like an Andrew knows, oh, I guess Andrew and Joyce both know that like <laughs> he was a, he was a chef and then, um, was about to become like the head chef of his restaurant got into a motorcycle accident, got passed up for the promotion and then switched careers into programming and was just really great at it. And I think that when I think back to like when I first um, started learning programming in college, how um, I would compare myself to people who did it in high school. Mm -hmm. I just, it just seems so silly that it's something that like, if you put the time into it um, and it's something you love, you can become really great and it's really more about like the the passion um and less about like okay did you were you like writing computer games at age like 12 or whatever yeah absolutely i think there's so many people that i've met in that industry too spoiler alert i also worked as an engineering manager but we won't talk about that right now because our guests have much interesting more much more interesting stories um but uh speaking about like you know the passion and how you see a lot of people who are inspired to kind of enter into this industry. What kind of keeps you coming back? Because you guys have both been in the industry for a long period of time. Um, what's your favorite part that of, about your jobs that continue to um, give you energy and give you inspiration? I, I think for me, like, there's something magical about engineering, which is that you, like, really, really, really understand how something works. Like, um, if you're working at a tech company and like the, the product you're selling is like software of some sort, then like as a manager, sorry, not as a manager, as a engineer, you really understand just how the system works. And if you need to change something or you have an idea for an improvement, you're able to do it. And it's just like really empowering in a way that nothing else is. And Honestly, I think that that was one of the big things I had to come to terms with when I became a manager mm. and stopped um, coding full time was just kind of taking my my hands off the wheel a little bit and being okay with not having that that like same like complete level of understanding. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's really about the and maybe this is a, why I switched back to being an individual contributor from a manager uh, is that like the the feeling of creation is like really amazing. Like I think in a lot of ways there are, it, it probably mm-hmm. I, like, I, this is what I imagine being like a great artist or like being really good at sketching or something would feel like is like, you can imagine this thing in your head and then like will it into being. Um, and that is like really cool to be able to, you know, actually create a website or an app on your phone and like see it existing. Um, and it's like, you know, not quite as tactile as, I don't know, being a blacksmith or something like that. But, but it, there, there's something about that, like, that, like, I want, I have this, I have this vision for how something could be, uh, and, and I can go and do it. Uh, that's like very empowering and, and, and cool. You don't even have to make a full website 
or something like that in order to achieve that. Like one of the first programming exercises that everyone does is making a hello world program where you make right. a program that just says hello world. And I remember the feeling of doing simple things like that. And just like the, like the like feeling of um, just, this is opening a new world. Like the hard part mm-hmm. was getting to here. And after that, I can just, after that, it's just, it's just work. Like it's, there's no more other leaps after this. But I have to imagine, though, that there's still those challenges that probably frustrate the heck out of you. Like, <laughs> you know, like you have to make something and it's like, I mean, I don't know too much about uh, this world, but I follow like programmer humor, like subreddits. <laughs> like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and I can relate, like, I can't relate to it, but I get it. Um, so it seems like you guys definitely experience your fair shares of uh, blocks in being able to achieve the thing that you're supposed to design. Like, how do you work through that? How do you get started solving those types of problems? Yeah, for sure. I think what I described was the platonic ideal of <laughs> software engineering. <laughs> but the the real world is is like nine days of of like hitting your head against a wall, and then one day of like you feel like you're on top of the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to you do. It is like there is struggle to get through the like nine days of, of, uh, like trying to figure out what's going on for that, for that reward. Um, and, but I think, I think Mikey was, had a good point, which is the, like at the beginning, I hate to I say it, but that kind of sounds of those, like a drug. I think, it, yeah, I think the way I'm describing it, 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 it is, uh, in some ways, that, like, that, I feel like, like that. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. You chase this dream and then like you get your payoff. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> gotta, uh, gotta get your fix. That's like an uncomfortably accurate way of describing it. Yeah. So the dark, the dark side of uh, of like knowing how things work is like uh, it, it can actually be kind of depressing because um, the reality is that like everything is hard. Like if you imagine like every like problem that needed that like needed to be solved to build like everything that's like part of like the the like you know your your house and the city that you live in and so on. Like each individual like. Um, artificial thing required lots of problem solving to, to build. And until you're actually the one building it, you don't quite realize like how many challenges you face in doing even the simplest thing. And so I think that like uh, when you, when you, when you start building, like the challenges you face are like uh, being able to do simple things. And so you're only um, tasked with doing simple problems, but then as you advance in your career, Mm-hmm. You're tasked with doing harder problems and the challenges you face are harder, but it almost kind of feels like you're always, you're, you're, you're always kind of like on the edge of like the, the difficulty of the challenges you face versus like your ability to solve it never quite gets to the, never quite gets to the point where it's just like everything is easy. Mm-hmm. Like the punishment for showing aptitude is that you're tasked with even harder problems. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So do you guys feel that the problems that you solve generally are individual tasks that you have to overcome or does it feel like a collaborative thing so when you are like kind of banging your head up against the wall on something I wonder if that's that kind of like that great feeling is when you personally discover the way to kind of like crack through it or is it collaborative like what's the working environment um like is it very solo is it very team-based how do you guys see it yeah, I think there's I think there's some of both for sure. Um so 
you're almost always like, I think, I think as Mikey was saying, everything is hard. Like everything that exists was built by, by like, you know, on the shoulders of all of previous humans and working in collaboration with a bunch of other people. And, Mm -hmm. and I think like in order to solve any substantial problem, you're, it's going to take a team of people for sure. Um, but I think in order to effectively work together as a team, you have to kind of like split up the work somehow. And, and, you know, like each of you work on different parts of it. Um, obviously like checking in frequently with other people, potentially doing, you know, brainstorming together, or working through some specific problem that, that you're struggling with together, or like talking things out loud. Um, and, and I think, so there is definitely a collaborative aspect, but there's also like very much a, a solo aspect, uh, of it as well. Um, as jobs go, I like, I don't know where it ranks on the, on the scale, maybe more time spent, uh, by yourself working on problems than, than other jobs, like, like a customer service job where you're entirely talking to people all day. Uh, there is more sort of sitting Ugh. at the computer, but it's probably <laughs> similar. It's probably similar to a lot of other kind of office desk jobs where, you know, you're spending mm. some time like writing emails and working on, on like Google docs and, and, uh, and then programming and then in meetings and, and back and forth like that. Hmm. Yeah, I think that um, this is actually like a really topical question because it's something that I um, talk to the more junior engineers that I manage quite a bit because part of your maturity as a manager is actually kind of calibrating for yourself. Like how hard should I, how, how long should I kind of bang my head against a problem before mm-hmm. I reach out for help? Um, and so, you know, as you get, as you get more senior you get better at solving problems on your own, but you also just get a better sense of like, at what point is enough enough that I should actually just um, reach out for help. What One nice thing about the software industry is that there's a tool called Stack Overflow where it's, <laughs> yeah. someone described it as basically the equivalent of like a, like a wizard spell book or something like yeah. this, where, it's, where it's, like a, it's like a website where uh, basically any programming question has been asked and answered. Not exactly, but like you get, you get like points for like answering questions and you can like vote on the best answers. And I think that if, um, Stack Overflow went down, the GDP of like the entire earth would get probably (laughs) cut in half every day until it went back up. It sounds like the societal collapse would potentially happen with that site going down. Like, I think it would probably be worse than for, for, for specifically the tech industry, like for people coding, it would probably be worse for Stack Overflow to go down um, and Google to stay up than the other way around. Hmm. Um, which actually um, is kind of terrifying when you think about it. Yeah. I think that's a good, that's a good point that like um, what, whatever servers are running Stack Overflow, I, I hope they're running on like the uh, <laughs> most expensive, highest tier armed guards making sure that no one messes with it because those are pretty important. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking if I'm someone trying to, you know, create chaos in society, a joker, so to speak, um, <laughs> I would maybe go after stock or uh, stack overflow. Um, I'm not, I'm just saying that if this podcast is the origin story of that happening, <laughs> um, we're all at fault. Um, maybe yeah, me, if, if we're all at fault. <laughs> Andrew, like you especially are at fault. At fault. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew is at fault. Uh, <laughs> we all heard it first. We, we heard it here from Andrew's mouth. Uh, go after stock. I keep on calling it stock overflow. 
Like it's freaking like overstock.com. Yeah. Someone take Overstock. down overstock.com. That'll really bring down the society. So, okay. Say if someone is like, oh man, uh, I want to be a programmer. I want to get into, I wanted, I want to get into a career like this. And they go into like a code academy or something like that. And they're messing around with the different languages and it's just not coming to them. It's just, it doesn't feel natural. Um, is that normal or is there kind of, when you get into this, does it just kind of fall into place? Uh, there is definitely good ways of teaching it and bad ways of teaching it. Um, like I remember my, my little brother learned to code in uh, like in high school, but it was like AP computer science. And I had been programming for a while and I saw the way that they were teaching him. And they, they basically taught like, they taught him in Java, which is like a very tough first language to learn mm -hmm. because there's a lot of like pre-knowledge you need to have to do like the simplest first steps. And he just decided that programming wasn't for him. And then uh, I came home for Thanksgiving break or something. And I showed him like a simple uh, program I had done in Python that it was 10 lines or something. And it just went to Twitter, fetched the 10 most recent tweets like the 10 most recent tweets globally or whatever, and just mm. printed it out to the screen and his jaw dropped and just like a change in the, the like way that it was taught made him um, kind of see that it wasn't all just like a grind and that mm -hmm. um, uh, kind of see, kind of see like the substance of it and get away from like what, what we call like the boilerplate of what he was trying to do. And mm. um, I think that, you know, if someone says that they're just trying to learn how to code and they're just not getting it, I think there's a good chance that it's the instruction materials and not mm. the individual. Hmm. Yeah. But, Andrew, Plus you went one. to a school that was really good about this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think like there's this, I, I feel like I've heard from people that, that don't code that like coding looks really hard and everyone who's an engineer must be really smart. And I, I just want to say that is not true. <laughs> you, I think, I think everyone is capable of learning to code and and being a good engineer. Yeah. Um, like you could definitely do it. Uh, I think that, it, like, I can only speak from my experience. I think there definitely there are better and worse ways of of learning it. There, I think Python is a great language to start out with. Java is much worse mm -hmm. language to start out with. Um, Terrible. I think I think mm -hmm. having having the instruction like built around uh, trying to accomplish things is is quite helpful if you're like if if you approach it with like a hey i want to make a little uh just you know a little program that prints out uh, uh this poem i love whatever it is like pick a pick a goal uh, that you're trying to get to and then that will like provide you sort of the motivation to get through those like sticky points um and i think i think it's like when when it's taught like uh elementary school math where it's like memorize a bunch of uh formulas kind of thing that's not what programming is like, but like uh, it, that, that like here is a bunch of exercises to do. I think approach falls flat. Yes, um, totally. Yeah. Having a bunch of exercises to do, I think is sounds just like a way to make someone really not like programming unless it's like immediately followed up with um, some, something that motivates it that the person is excited about. Like at my school there, there was like an uh, extracurricular you could do, whereas you just picked a board game 
and you implemented the board game using mm-hmm. a programming language. And that was like a supplement to teach people how to, how to code. And like, if you imagine just like the act of trying to implement, like, I don't know, like clue or Candyland or something like that in programming, like you basically have to do everything to make a complete program. I mean, you're not making a website, but all the logic and brains of it, you have to learn how to do. And it provides like a good motivation to it. And I think that like, that was the thing that got like um, a lot more people, at least at my school, uh, excited about like learning how to do the right way, how to do things the right way, because there was like a motivator for it. So Mikey, you were a product manager. Did you then go back to school to uh, get into programming? Um, no, my, de- so my degree was in CS. Well, it was called, uh, electrical and computer engineering. Hmm. Uh, when I, when I was in school, I took a lot of like, uh, programming classes, but I also took a lot of classes on design and user research and stuff that was like a little bit all over the place. And I, I, I kind of viewed programming as being a bit of like a one trick pony. That like mm. you kind of sit in your you kind of you have your you have your box that you're in. People give you like the spec, and then you output code, and that's like your job. And I I didn't really um, see the joy in it, and so I thought that product management would be something that was uh, like much more varied. That like could do a little bit, like a little bit of engineering, a little bit of design, a little bit of research, a little bit of strategy, um, and that just seemed a lot more exciting. I ended up learning a ton from my experience as a product manager, but the reality was a little bit different than what I had in my head. Mm. And the reality of what engineering was, was also very, very different. Like at the company I was at, it was very um, engineering driven. And I noticed that the engineers actually had a, a lot of them actually had a bigger say in like what we, like the product that we were going to build much more than even the product managers. Um, Mm. And so that was the motivation for switching. And fortunately I had, like, I knew how to program from college. And so I was able to make the switch. Well, I was just going to, I mean, I'm just curious if say you didn't realize you wanted to do this in college and you're just realizing it now, what would the recommendation be to Mm -hmm. get into this? I think there's a couple of choices. So, and I think it depends on what you studied in undergrad. I think, I think that some people can go back and get, a master's in some CS field, hmm. um, like machine learning or something like that, and make the switch there. And then I've also worked with people who have gone to like coding boot camps, like um, not like a formal degree program, but one of the like more famous, like top tier ones. And they come out as really, really strong programmers. Like it's a educational experience that is just like laser focused on um, the most important things that you need to do in order to code. Um, but the people, I think that that path definitely is harder. And it seemed like the people mm-hmm. that were successful there were like very, very internally motivated. They had mm-hmm. a very clear idea of like why they were doing it and what they were trying to accomplish. And as a result, were able to just like sponge up a lot of information really fast and, and change their careers. Yeah, I think a lot of those programs, from what I've experienced, it seems like it's all about like making sure that you can get a job as an engineer after graduating yeah. from a program like that. So there's there is a lot of focus on that. But uh, I wanted to ask. Um, so back when 
I was in college and maybe things have changed now, but back when I was in college, um, there was this like stigma. There was this like stereotype of an engineer kind of being like what you said, Mikey, um, like uh, a code monkey, right? Like someone who is very introverted, who doesn't want to talk to people, who's antisocial and just wants to like sit behind their computer and work on um, a bunch of different stuff. That in my experience has been very not true, but uh, there are a lot, there is a lot more diversity in the um, the industry in terms of like like personalities um, and things like that. But for people who are interested and maybe curious about it, what are kind of the things that you what are maybe like personality traits or interests that you think align well with what you do on the job? It's it's kind of funny to hear that description because I, um, I do notice that there do there does seem to be a wide variety of personality types. But sometimes I wonder if it was just my experience living in San Francisco. And like when, mm. when most of the people you hang out with is computer engineers, you kind of like notice a lot more diversity. But then when you like expand your horizon, <laughs> and I'm thinking about this as someone who moved from San Francisco to New York, that yeah. like now that I hang out with a lot more like non-software engineers, I kind of think that maybe some of the stereotypes might like have more of a truth to them. Oh. Mm, um, interesting. Okay. I think that... There's a couple personality traits that seem to help people be more successful, particularly as they grow. Like, I think that if you're smart and motivated, you can definitely get the basics down and, and be able to and get to a point where you're like a competent programmer. But if you think about like what separates people who are then able to make it to the next level, I think there's a couple of things like the it's, it's there's sort of this like habit of mind where you're just like. Um, you're just unwilling to accept a, a like incomplete mental model of how something works or like a, or like magical thinking about how something works or like guessing how something works. And you understand the difference between actual understanding and just guessing at how something works. And this just under like the, the mental habit of understanding that difference and the drive to like push to understand how something actually works mm. is becomes really important as you try to do more sophisticated things yeah. and it's actually nice that like in the software industry there's a push towards you know like open source software and like github and stuff like that where you actually have the opportunity to just actually read how like a lot of um popular software packages actually work if you have the inclination yeah i i think the I, I agree with a lot of what Mikey said. I, I I have a little trouble disentangling the the chicken or the egg there. Like I I don't know if um that like ability to construct mental models of of like how something operates uh comes first, and then that means you're like predisposed to being good at writing code, or the other way around. Like maybe as you write a bunch of code, you learn to like build these mental models in your head and and construct them mm -hmm. over time. There's probably there's probably like some of both. Um, but I would say, like, th th all the things Mikey said are true. I would also say that, like, as you get, um, you know, after your first year, year or two or three uh, as a software engineer, communication and writing skills uh, and just, like, like clarity clarity of communication is, is like, incredibly valuable, like, unbelievably mm -hmm. valuable. Um, just, like, being able to distill a, a conversation or a project or an idea down to uh, something that 
you can quickly and clearly communicate to other people, I think is is like highly undervalued uh, and and very useful. Hmm. Isn't that the role somewhat of the product manager to be able to communicate, be the go-between of, you know, what needs to be created versus, uh, and like who's asking for it? Yeah, I think it matters. Uh, It really depends on the company. I I would Mm. say like in, in Silicon Valley, in big tech, there's kind of, uh, there's kind of like a fairly standard operating playbook for how, like who does what and things like that. But I think as soon as you get outside of that world, you know, uh, there's a bunch of software engineers at Visa or at the IRS or, you know, like in all sorts of companies. And and I think that there's a lot more variation there. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I I think like sort of in, in my experience in sort of Bay Area tech scene, the engineers have a lot of autonomy and ownership over the project. They're often the ones like talking to customers. I think, I think like mm-hmm. talking to customers and understanding what the problem is you're trying to solve uh, mm-hmm. is like incredibly useful and powerful. And and like all engineers should be doing that because it's going to make the thing that you build a lot better. Um, and, and so like being able to have those conversations with customers, being able to like just talk to other engineers on the team effectively about what you're doing and uh, what they're doing, summarizing that and telling your manager about it, telling other people in the company about it, um, I think are like all very important skills that, that you uh, that you need to be a, like a successful kind of um, a- engineer after after the first couple of years. I think the first year or two years is a little bit more of the just understanding how to operate in a company, learning how to like take a clearly mm-hmm. defined small task that someone else like a product manager or a more senior engineer kind of defines for you uh, and, and then going to execute it. But But like pretty quickly, you, as soon as you start running a bigger project that requires collaborating or requires defining what the problem is before you can solve it, uh, you you run across all these communication uh, issues. Well, I, I was actually really surprised when I came over to the West Coast and I worked with San Francisco uh, programmers for the first time because my first experience working more directly with a programmer, specifically a CTO, is we didn't have a product manager at this small startup and it was a subscription company. And I said, we need, we need a cancellation button. We didn't, you know, we didn't create that when we launched and they built it. And the actual functions of that created all these different issues. And he was like, well, you asked me for a cancel button. And (laughs) I was like, okay, I feel like you taught me a lesson and thank you. Um, I now know how to do user stories. Thank you. (laughs) But yeah, when I like came over to, um, you know, the West Coast company, I was really surprised at how much more involved the programmers were. And I think that there, but I mean, like it's, it, it, it doesn't sound like there's a good or bad in that. It's just like what works for each company. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing I noticed is that like, as, as people get more senior, a lot of this, like expectations around soft skills seem to become very similar. Mm. Like I remember when I started my career, I noticed that like a VP of engineering versus a VP of product versus a VP of design versus, I don't know, VP of marketing all seem kind of similar from the outside, much more similar than a first year engineer versus a a first year designer. Mm -hmm. And I think what's going on is across all of these, like across all of these, uh, let's say like career tracks, the way you advance 
is, you know, there's a lot of aspects to it, but it essentially boils down to, can you have more impact? And that's how you earn a promotion. And for, for every role, ultimately you end up hitting a wall for like how much impact you can have by working harder or being smarter than the other person. And it's more about, um, are you able to make the people around you better? And like the kind of the buzzword is like working through others, but it's, <laughs> it's really, tr- it's really true. And um, even, even people, even, even engineers who don't go into management have to, not, not in every case, but I think in a lot of cases have to be able to accomplish that in order to like continue to earn an increase in seniority. Mm -hmm. Now I will say in looking at the engineering teams that I've seen, there always seems to be such a camaraderie of those teams. It never seems cutthroat within the organization. I always see them as the organizations that are getting, you know, the, uh, you know, we like the, the, the paints kicking in guys. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, the thing when you drink at the end of the week. Happy hours. Happy hours. Happy hours. <laughs> um, but I, <laughs> um, but I, I, but just for like someone potentially listening, because uh, I feel like that makes such an impact of the longevity of a career you might have is what's the kind of team you're going to find yourself with. Like, is that just an anomaly that uh, engineering teams seem to have that camaraderie and come togetherness, or is that the norm? Like, what is your guys' experience of the the team culture that you've seen? Oh yeah, I think it's it's highly dependent on the company mm. uh, and and like who's there. I think that that's probably I don't know. I, I haven't really worked in other uh, sort of like professions to know if that's true mm. but i'm guessing it is uh, like that you know at some places it's great in some places it's like uh everyone just goes home and doesn't want to hang out um and and probably matters sort of the the culture of the of like what what the role of engineering is at that company um mm. and i would say like it, it, jen as you were describing earlier it, it sounds like it you know one of the one of those other other companies engineering was kind of treated as this like uh, cost center. It's often called IT in those situations. And it's, mm. it's very much like you file a ticket and mm-hmm. they'll do the the most, you know, uh, cynical genie version of like misinterpreting <laughs> what you ask for to like do the least amount of work Monkey's possible fire. and, and, and like clock out at 4 PM. Um, and, but, but I, but I think like at the, at the like best version of this, it is exactly that. It's kind of like, you're all in this together. You're all like struggling against uh you know the entropy of the decaying universe to try to like build something that <laughs> solves someone's problem in a useful way and you're kind of all pushing the same boulder up the hill together uh and that can be like really exciting um and and uh i think also wow. at startups in general there is like this uh often hire a lot of people that are fresh out of college and so then they all uh don't have families and then they just like to hang out. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like, I've definitely experienced that too. Um, and, and maybe in other careers, like you have a more, more diversity of age. And so, uh, more people go home to their kids. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I sort of, I think it depends a lot on the company. I mean, that makes sense. I just always assume that sales teams also do that. 
like any any job where um there's a bunch of people all doing the same role and um there's ups and downs and i guess like a lot of gallows humor i just would assume that uh all of those folks would enjoy grabbing a beer at the end of the at the end of the week yeah it's kind of like you're in the trenches together kind of thing exactly if you want to yeah. work on the if you want to work on the party team at at a tech company it's the recruiting team that's that's oh, right. Dang. That's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh dang, we'll have to do and one they of those have, episodes. They have all the gossip. That's uh, yeah. That's that the, is that's that's the true. Team. That's true. Yeah, because <laughs> technically HR has all the gossip, but they keep tight lipped. You can't get right. through to them. But recruiting, ooh, they'll not. they'll let it ride. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, it's it, it's interesting because I I mean my experience is in customer service and I've worked at a lot of different companies and you're right like the different companies do change it but there's always this kind of like through line of all customer service teams but maybe this is just all teams where you are kind of all in it together mm-hmm. and the gallows humor as you said like you know we're all kind of getting yelled at by the customer we're all like trying to solve this one problem so you're able to bond over that. Um, I won't speak on sales because I have my own opinions on sales organizations. Uh, <laughs> I, I do th- like I do kind of wonder if like as soon as you introduce a commission based uh, pri- like comp structure oh. where where your comp is uh, like part of the you know taking away from someone else's comp like mm-hmm. that I think probably introduces a very different dynamic. It's uh, a good point. I don't think any I don't I don't know of any engineering teams that have uh, sort of a, a like uh, that that sort of comp structure. <laughs> Probably, well, probably, but uh, my guess is that uh, that's probably an anti-pattern. Yeah. Getting mm-hmm. your engineers to compete with each other. Yeah, y'all. I, you know, I get yelled at how much I bring this one thing up, but Goodhart's law is this idea that you get what you measure, and like, so if you're a checkout person and you're measured on how many items you scan, and you can't scan an item, you'll like kind of you know give it for free, but maybe the business doesn't want that. I feel like that's the same thing with like commission-based stuff where it's like, yeah, you're going to get that thing, but you know, there's other, maybe that's kind of another way of saying monkey's paw. Uh, Yeah. Paints hit me. Um, (laughs) All right. I have, uh, so I I do want one more question and then we're going to wrap up. Um, So just like a day, a week in the life as, as an engineer, like what does that look like? What's the work-life balance? I know it's probably different you know, company to company, but like, how could you summarize it for someone maybe interested in going into this type of career? Yeah. For the engineer as well as the engineering manager. Oh yes. Yes. Uh, well, can you go for it, Andrew? I'm going to go look at my calendar. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think, um, so, so as an engineer, I, it really does depend on the company and, and sort of like, uh, you know, the workload at any particular time, I think, you know, on, on the, the best weeks, it's probably 40, 45 hours a week on the worst weeks. It's probably 50 hour, 60 hour weeks. Uh, sometimes if, if you're like crunching for some deadline. Um, but, but actually like overall, I would say as a job, incredibly flexible schedules, most of the time, very much like if you get your work done, uh, that's, that's like what matters. And, and, um, I, I think like, as a career, it's it's great. In terms of like what I do day to day, I would probably, you know, it, it depends over the course of your career, over the course of the year. Um, I, I would spend like probably, I don't know, a quarter of my time actually writing code. So maybe that's less than you'd expect. Probably a quarter of my time in meetings, uh, like coordinating, doing uh, probably another quarter of my time doing like interviewing. Um, mm-hmm. Like as, as companies are growing, you'd have to do a lot of interviewing and kind of everyone is... is 
doing a bunch of that. Um, and a quarter of my time doing kind of like design work, which is, you know, essentially for, for like a larger system, it is, you know, figuring out what are all the pieces that we need to build, how do we like turn this sort of big amorphous problem statement into, you know, an actual set of, uh, tasks that we can go code. Mm. Um, and so I would say probably sort of evenly split between writing code, doing interviews, planning, coordinating, uh, and, and doing design work. Okay, I looked at my calendar. So <laughs> it's going to be rough for an engineering yeah. manager. It's different, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of meetings. I have basically two meeting-heavy days, one meeting light day, and then two that are kind of in the middle. And it breaks down where I don't even want to. I don't even want to look at the hours because I think it's going to be depressing. But it's a lot of time. A lot of time is is spent. Probably like the the biggest bucket is one-on-ones with either people that I manage directly or um, uh, basically non-engineers that are considered uh, part of the, that are considered part of the team because Mm -hmm. this is like the primary thing that they work on. And Mm -hmm. the reason I spend so much time doing that and why it's considered such like a common practice in management is because it's the highest signal channel you have on how your team is doing, because Mm -hmm. I'm not looking at the code. I'm not looking at, logs most of the time a lot of the way i find out how people are doing is i just ask them mm-hmm. and then my team I, I my team's actually growing and um i've realized that i'm actually like a lot worse at uh hiring than i thought and so i actually spent a lot of time um talking to candidates uh interested in the team and i don't even want to say like how many uh how many people i've talked to compared to the open headcount because it's just atrocious but at least i've had a lot of time to practice my pitch (laughs) and then everything beyond that is some combination of like let's say like managing out type activities Mm -hmm. so meetings with peers where we talk about like common challenges that we're facing or reporting um there's like a couple of team meetings you know, these days it's kind of hard to give people um, enough face time because so many people are remote. And so um, I've just added in a bunch more kind of like somewhat like uh, contrived opportunities to give people face time. So it feels uh, as a team, so it feels more like a team. Um, mandatory fun. <laughs> mandatory fun. I yes, know exactly. it's, it's terrible. It's, a, it's, there, uh, there, there's no winning because people hate the feeling of being isolated and people hate the feeling on, of being on a Zoom call. And so I've just tried to find a middle ground and hope that we can all get back to the office um, as, <laughs> as soon as we can. Um, but that's the main thing. And then in terms of work hours, honestly, the thing that's affected my work hours the most is one moving from a startup to a bigger tech company has definitely like reduced my hours. And I think that that's, that's natural. Um, and the other one is just, uh, like I have a two year old and I've just Mm. kind of made the choice that I don't want to be a workaholic. And, uh, there's just like a certain block of time that's incompressible where we get him home from daycare and have dinner and give him a bath and read him a book. And I guess that's time that I could be, doing more management tasks, but, uh, you know, I'd much rather be hanging out with him. Priorities. Mm-hmm. 
So um, first off, thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been an absolute yeah. delight. And also like catching up with you guys. It's been so long since I've heard your voices. Yeah, my pleasure. So what I would ask you guys before we depart is uh, to maybe someone listening and is considering going down a career path of a programmer or um, an engineering manager, what would be something that you would say to them in their path of considering this? That is a good question. <laughs> I, I, I need like 30 seconds to think of an answer. Yeah, <laughs> I would say I would say do it. If you're thinking about it, do it. Like maybe just like any big decision, uh, kind of try to test the waters a little bit, do some like programming classes uh, if you can, or, uh, you know, pick a little project and try to teach yourself. Um, but honestly, it's like, I, I think it's like a really awesome profession if, if you, if you're into it. Uh, I think like the, we didn't talk about this, but like the pay is great. Uh, I think a lot of companies like the the benefits and flexibility is great. It's like a really hot job market. Uh, as Mikey was saying, it's like hard to hire people, um, which means that like, you know, going to this field, you'll have a lot of, of options and, and power, um, you know, if, if you stick with it and are, are excited about it and, and like really uh, learn your stuff. Uh, and so I would say like, if you're thinking about it and you're interested, uh, definitely check it out because it it is, I think, a great career. Just don't start with Java. Just don't start with Java. Don't start with Java. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a good, that is a really, that's actually probably the tip to give. Um, no offense to, uh, I guess, Oracle, whoever owns Java. Um, but yeah, I think the advice is just get started. Like if you own a computer, you can program because Every computer comes with uh, Python, at least, and probably a bunch of other uh, programming languages already pre-installed. And there's tons of good resources online. And I think this is something that we talked about earlier. But just if you feel like you're just not getting it, then it's probably the materials and not you. And and just try something else. And and finally, like the community is so um, welcoming, particularly to uh new programmers and so mm -hmm. just find your people well there you have it there you have it go for it just do and it I'll, and also when the society collapses it is andrew's fault uh just wanted to reiterate <laughs> that at the end in case someone skipped to the end um like, why the hell did i go agree to do this <laughs> it sounds like jen's high to me yeah. <laughs> Y'all, I was upfront about that. I just didn't intentionally do it. Um, well, thank you guys so much, uh, Andrew and Mikey. This is super insightful. I was, I've was i always been curious about this career, and uh, and it just seems – like I, I honestly want to look into it a little bit more because I, I, do I don't know what I'm doing. But <laughs> Yeah, this do was a blast. It. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> they were so good they were amazing i i love them so much i miss them i miss working with them so much and now everyone's spread out all over the country so you can't just go see them yeah exactly i have to do um i have to do like a little midwest tour and see everyone who's moved out there there's so many people leaving california 
right? Mm-hmm. Got to go to Texas where you can sue people for giving abortions. Oh, my uh, gosh. No. Don't even get me started. started. I'm not <laughs> yeah. even going to. No, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> <laughs> but how are, how, how are the uh, – How's the high going? How are you, how are you feeling? <laughs> I think I'm like, I you know, it's just more of a like a why aren't things making why aren't words coming out right? And yeah. then you know, but I think it's getting better. Yeah, and I don't have anything to do after this so, except <laughs> my the second coat of paint. <laughs> so I'll just keep the I'll keep everything circulated this time. Um, you know, I I've always been curious about becoming a programmer because I just love the idea of solving problems and yeah. designing things. Mm-hmm. I, it just feels like it would be so um, it, it, gratifying, I guess would be the word. And yeah. I, I I really would always look at engineering teams. It's like, gosh, they look like they're having so much fun and they make so much dang money. It just has got to be a <laughs> well, that, good that life. Helps. That helps make it feel fun. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's like, but yeah, no, I mean, it, and you know, what's crazy is I was like, oh, maybe I should give this a shot. And I did Code Academy and I started with Java. Oh my <laughs> I was like, gosh. This? That's hilarious. So that, that was my crux. Yeah. It, like, it, it, did that put you off? Well, I just didn't progress. Uh-huh. I just, you know, when I first quit my job, I was like, I'm going to do Code Academy for, and I'm going to do Java because everyone always talks about Java. Mm-hmm. And I felt like maybe I know a little bit about this because I have, you know, a rudimentary knowledge of SQL. But yeah, I just, it wasn't that I thought it was too hard. It was just not, uh, it wasn't, it just didn't feel like natural, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like like they said, Java is not a good language to start on. I always push people to Python because yeah. that was that was a much more approachable language. Um, but I think that like one of the other things that um, I've been thinking about is like the diversity in how you learn also has a direct correlation to like the diversity of the people. And so, mm-hmm. like, I think that especially when I was in school, it was taught a very, like, you only went to school for it. You would um, go through the same program. There weren't a lot of boot camps, at least that I knew of. Um, and the way you learned programming was very, like, one way. And mm-hmm. I graduated, like, telling myself I don't want to do this because, it mm. like, after, like, four, four-ish years of doing that and trying to like get it to stick. I just didn't feel like it was me. Um, but like the reason why I went into it is because after I started doing it um, in the industry, it was just different, you know, like you you work with different people with different approaches who are like supportive in a different way that like academia wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like, like what Andrew was saying about like, finding a different way or Andrew and Mikey, like the way they were talking about, like finding a different way to learn it, I think is important to encouraging more diversity because if you're weeding out people who are interested, but just can't get through the material, then you're doing something wrong with the education. Yeah. Interesting. That's, that's my, that's my thought. Um, just because I personally experienced that. Like I was like, I, this isn't for me. I can't do this. Yeah, but, but I did, and so um, I think that now, there's a lot of. Do you enjoy coding? Like, would you just do it for fun? 
I think that there was a period of time where I it did. Yeah. I don't like I think it's not as much it's not as strong for me now. Um mm-hmm. but there was a period of time where it was like yeah, like that that kind of creative like I'm building something energy like Mikey and Carmen were talking about or <laughs> Mikey and Andrew were talking about yeah. um at the beginning of the the episode. Like yeah, that's so motivating and that's so enticing yeah. too. No, they definitely sold it. Oh yeah. I mean, oh. if if anyone was going to sell it, it's those two. Cuz yeah. they're so awesome. They are. They're so they're both so great at like they're like, hey, do you want to solve big problems and generally be around people that are nice and make a lot of money? <laughs> and also anyone can do it if you really just like, you know, give yourself the right, you know, ability to like learn it. Then try this. It's just like it's <laughs> But I, I, that's such an interesting point about like diversity of learning and, uh, and like how it could potentially create, you know, a picture of engineers today just based off of like the way that people learn to get to that point, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Because, because there is still, it seems like there is still kind of like a stigma of like engineering is really hard, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, but I, I don't think it's any harder than, like any other major or any other industry, it's all about like, you know, you learn it, right? You get better mm-hmm. as you go. And I still think there are people like certain personality types and certain interests that like predispose you to being really good at it. But I like, I don't think it has to be that way. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I guess does this, what it like, are you thinking? You want to try it again after this? Or? This is the first one that we've done where I was like, huh, I I kind of want to look back into it a bit. Because hmm. consulting was something I was always like, yes. And then I realized like, oh, I'm way too abrasive to be a consultant. <laughs> like I just like if people don't want to do it my way, I'd be like, fuck off. Like, I, you know, look, I'm in therapy for it. Like uh, one day I'll figure it out. But no, this is like. You know, it really hit me where it was just like, yeah, don't start with Java. And I was like, I started with Java. So, yeah, I mean, I may take another look at it. Yeah. Uh, Python. Start with Python. And you know what, Joyce? I'm running out of money. So maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the time to try it. And I'm more than happy to help you with it. You can be my coach. I could be your coach. I could be your Python coach. Python coach. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, Joyce, I think this is the end. Uh, so everyone, my name's been Jen Staben. My name's Joyce. And this has been So What Do You Do? Bye-bye.